Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I'm going off the rails on a crazy train edition as we address some recent Bengals drama before looking ahead to Sunday's Battle of Ohio rematch at Paul Brown Stadium between the Bengals and the 4-2 and two Cleveland Browns. Coming up, Dave Lapham joins me to discuss Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, A.J. Green, John Ross, and the latest Bengals news. This week's one-on-one player interview is actually a one-on-two conversation as I speak to close pals Giovanni Bernard and C.J. Uzama. It's C.J.'s first interview since tearing his Achilles, so we will discuss that, but we'll also talk about a fun contest they're involved with and provide details for how you can sign up to win. And in our Know the Foe segment, we'll get the latest news out of Cleveland from our pal Zach Jackson, who covers the team for The Athletic. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since not being harassed by political campaigns. As if the nonstop attack ads on TV weren't bad enough, now I'm getting several text messages a day asking for my vote. I don't know how they got my phone number, but I am extremely annoyed by it, and I tweeted the following response on Wednesday. Dear political candidates, I can promise you that there is not a single voter who wants a text message from a strange number asking for our vote. Please stop sending them. Sincerely, everybody. Based on your responses, I was right when I said everybody. Now, time to bring in my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, as you know, I started my broadcasting career as a minor league baseball announcer. Yes. After graduating from Syracuse back in the late 1980s, this was pre-internet. Mm-hmm. And when I would travel on the road with my minor league baseball team, had a lot of time to kill. On the road during the day. So I'd do my homework. Mm-hmm. I'd go for a run. I might read part of a book. Mm-hmm. And every day I watch The Young and the Restless. <laughs> <laughs> I am not proud to admit that now. Uh, that is the only soap opera I have ever watched. Susan Lucci? No, that's, I think she was on All My Children. All My Children, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. All My Children. Different young soap. and the Restless. Okay. Different soap. So right. that's the only soap opera I have ever watched. Until now, I feel like I am oh. watching one all of a sudden with the Bengals. Yeah. We've got Carlos Dunlap doing live Instagram feeds to complain about his role. We have people trying to read A.J. Green's lips when he's on the bench. <laughs> we have John Ross's agent asking to be traded. It seems like the feel-good portion of the Joe Burrow era did not last very long. Yeah, I, I just think, I mean, earlier in the week, I asked... Uh, both Zach and Luana Rumu, if social media was a pain in the mm-hmm. because we never had to deal with that. And I think social media, it, players don't even have to go through the media like Carlos did when he basically connived his press conference to announce that he wasn't starting anymore. Um, they go right to social media. So as a head coach, it's a different ball game. It is a different arena. And guys right now, 
you know, bottom line is, and I, and I know I'm old school because I'm old, I understand, <laughs> but instead of wasting your energy going on social media and trying to do whatever you're doing, just play, play hard, just play. Go to the coach and say, where am I deficient? What do I need to do better? How come I can't get snaps? Or, you know, try to get on the same page with the guy and find and, and just improve on things you need to improve on. Go out and play. And it drives me nuts right now that Geno Adkins isn't in the same sentence with Carlos Dunlap. I think that's irresponsible. Geno Adkins is not. Geno Adkins wants to play. Geno Adkins had a hell of a training camp. Geno Adkins was primed and ready to go. And unfortunately, he got hurt. And he doesn't want to talk about it. And the coaches don't want to talk about it. So all these assumptions and all these, it, it's a bigger, bigger deal than it is. Why didn't he get surgery? Why didn't he go on IR? Why didn't he do this? Why didn't he do that? Well, maybe he wanted to try to play. That's why he didn't have surgery. Maybe he's, you know, it's gone longer than he wanted it to go because he didn't have surgery and he's trying to rehab it. But I know one thing. After watching him in training camp, he wanted to play. And the, th the problem flat out with Carlos Dunlap, the reason they don't want you in on defensive uh, uh, run snaps is you're taking the easy way out. Instead of squeezing the tackle into a gap, you're running up the football field and making the hole naturally, taking the easy way out, doing things of that nature. Coaches would not have a guy take a guy off a football field if he's their best option. Bledsoe it doesn't have one iota of the athletic ability that Carlos Dunlap has. And you don't have to be a great athlete to give good effort. And so that's why they're playing other guys in the line of scrimmage to stop run snaps. And to put Geno Atkins' situation in the same sentence as Carlos Dunlap's situation is ludicrous, in my humble opinion. Mm. Ludicrous. They're so, totally different. So people that are saying Geno doesn't want to play, he's you know, milking it or, or whatever – accusations are being made you flat out say that's nonsense I the do. only reason he has not done well so far is that he's just slow coming back from a legitimate shoulder injury exactly exactly he's not able to go if you i mean i know i've had a shoulder problem and tried to play it's a bitch i mean there's nothing tougher and for him to try to do what he does as a defensive tackle with a legitimate shoulder injury, not knowing the severity, I don't know what the severity of it is, but I remember I, I tried to play with a separated shoulder, and man, it was, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, you're, you're you know, you, you, you're gritting your teeth and fighting through it every single snap, and I did take a shot in the shoulder. I took a shot at halftime, you know, before the game and at halftime of the game. And it's still, I mean, that night, you know, laying in bed, throbbing away, not able to sleep, you're thinking, man, you know, what do I do now? So, I mean, it, it's tough. And, uh, you know, Geno Atkins, in my mind, if Geno Atkins didn't want to play, did not want to have uh, a season with the Cincinnati Bengals, he wouldn't have had the training camp he had. I mean, we talked about it a few times. Oh, man, Geno, man, he's, Geno's busting it. Geno's working. He was, he was primed and ready. It's sad that he got hurt. But don't put him in the same mm. sentence as the Carlos Dunlap situation. To me, it's that's not responsible. Gino's got two years left on his deal. Twelve point two million next year, thirteen point four five the following year. Carlos has one year left, eleven point two five mil. Not a big dead cap situation if they let Carlos go at the end of this year. It would be a big dead cap hit if they let Gino go mm -hmm. at the end of this year. Can Gino Atkins still be good enough? Maybe not as good as he once was, was, but still good enough to be worth it at those prices. 
Geno Atkins at the end of last year when he made the Pro Bowl said, really? Geno knew he didn't have a great year, and he worked his ass off in the offseason and came back and had a really strong training camp. He was ready to get after it again. He made it on reputation, and in his mind he knows that when he made his eighth Pro Bowl. But he was ready to have another year. So I do think, I mean, I thought, watching him uh, in 2019, I thought, geez, you know, maybe it's the end. He just, he didn't, there was no suddenness, no explosion. It looked like the gas in the tank was, you know, draining. Um, and for whatever reason, he resurrected himself and, uh, and came back and was ready to roll this year. So it, it, I, will, it, will it have to be diminished? Obviously for this year, for sure. If that shoulder is as big a problem as it appears to be that he's missing the number of games that he's missing uh, or, or not able to participate at a higher level. If he were able to participate at a higher level, he'd be doing it. He would be doing it. The coaches would, you know, the coaches would say, I, I'll, I'll guarantee you that they're probably medical people and coaches are telling the coaches to not overdo it with them. He's not telling the coaches to not overdo it with them. Hmm. I'll, uh, in my opinion, that's the way it, that's the way it is. A couple of weeks ago, things didn't look good for AJ Green. He had a hamstring injury and spent the second half on the bench. He admittedly loafed after a pass thrown for him was intercepted, and according to the lip readers out there, he was on the bench asking for a trade. He denied it. We'll never know if that's what he was saying, but in any case, this past week AJ was terrific. He was targeted 11 times. He had eight catches, just under 100 yards, and those catches came in huge situations, second and long, third and long, fourth and long. A.J. was the go-to guy for Joe Burrow. Here are a couple of his fellow wide receivers, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, on A.J.'s first big game in a couple of years. Seeing him get his confidence back, having him you know, have a good game like that is uh... – really good for, for him and his confidence, you know, just to get him rolling. And, you know, off is going to be rolling now. I, I knew his game was going to come, and, and all it took was one game. You know, and I felt he played good the beginning, the first game, second game. You know, his numbers just wasn't A.J. Green numbers. You know, sometimes uh, you won't have them big games like everybody used to see him do. That's why a lot of people criticize uh, his performance, you know. But I felt that he always played great. You know, he stayed detailed, and he did what he had to do to uh, – Keep the chains rolling. Whenever his name is called, then, you know, he's going to make that play. And then now he's starting to uh, rally up. And now the offense is, it looked like a, it just looked like a overall great offense when you see all three of us out there dominating. That's the offense everybody wanted to see. But uh, I don't think uh, AJ was held back or it was, was anything wrong with him. I just felt like it just, just, it's, the game just had to come to him. As great as A.J. Green is, seven-time Pro Bowler, certainly one of the top three wide receivers in Bengals history, along with Chad Johnson and Isaac Curtis, he's human. Mm -hmm. He needed a performance like that desperately. He did, and actually to see him smile during the course of that game was huge because he kind of admitted he was in his own head, and he got out of his own head, and he just said, I got to start having fun again. And if you play this game making, quote, business decisions – where you're playing not to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. And that's on that play, the interception where he said, you know, he loafed. What, what he did, he saw the interception, and he started looking around like, who's going to hit me? And then just went, you know, north and south instead of east and west to put a hit on the guy and went north and south to make sure that he cleared all the, all the potential damage of the play. And uh, that, that's uncharacteristic and, and totally foreign to what A.J. Green's all about. The guys on the Mount Rushmore of great players in franchise history and deserves to be there. 
And I, I, I'm just glad that uh, two things. I was impressed that he called himself out. And then after doing that, he went out and played and played great. So I think, I think there was a catharsis moment there when it happened during the game and when his reaction was sullen, obviously, on the, on the bench. And I'm sure his wife, his dad, his, you know, his mom, his dad, everybody's like, what are you doing? It's not you. And he thought about it, and then, it's not me. And then he had the Wednesday press, presser on Zoom where that's not me and i got to start doing things uh, differently and, and play the way I can play. And he went out and did it. So hats off to A.J. Green. Uncharacteristic mistake. Made restitution for it. I wish uh, other guys, I wish employee 96 would have a catharsis presser and say, you know what, I, I have been uh, – I can give better effort than I've, I've given. I'm going to go out and do it. And then oh, just he's had it. some catharsis <laughs> oh, pressers. He, he, he just hasn't said that. No, not that type of – not the right catharsis <laughs> that I'm looking for. But, yeah, I mean, um, it, was, it was really good to see, to see A.J. involved. And like you has said uh, on your uh, question when we were talking to Zach, that his catches were – you know, or Joe, his catches were second, third and long, fourth down, had to have, had to keep a game, you know, a possibility of uh, winning a football game alive. And he stepped up and made big plays and big moments. That's A.J. I'll tell you something else I liked. So he comes on the Zoom after the game to talk to reporters, eight catches, 96 yards, kind of a feel-good moment despite the loss. His response to the first question, I should have – played the deep ball yep. better. Yep. Could have been a 44-yard touchdown pass. He tried to show late hands. That's become the big topic yep. this year. Instead of going up, trying to go over the guy, maybe draw a pass interference. So that's the A.J. that we're accustomed to. That is, and that's interesting because on Bengals line, we had Bob Bicknell on as a guest. And, and Bob Bicknell in that play said, you know, he did try to do the late hands thing instead of going uh, up to, to uh, can, you know, to – aggressively attacked the football. He said the reason I thought when I saw it and it was confirmed on tape that he decided not to do that, he was really close to the sideline. So if you go airborne, now you've lost control of where you are on the field. And staying on the ground, he felt like he had better control being so tight to the sideline. And he said, I really, I'm not going to grade him down for not going airborne because of where he was real estate-wise on the football field. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But again, AJ's first reaction, okay, I was okay, but I'm still going to be self-deprecating. I'm still going to Say, hey, I can be better. I love that. Love it. With Auden Tate out last week with a sore shoulder, John Ross was active. He was in for one snap on offense. It was a running play. So, for the season, his uh, contribution remains minimal. Two catches for 17 yards. They both came in the season opener against the L.A. Chargers. And now word comes that his agent has requested a trade. John is in the final year of his contract after being the ninth pick in the draft. Here is his friend and teammate, Tyler Boyd, on what John Ross is going through. I mean, it's tough. You know, I've been in that situation before, and I know how it is. You know, what I had told him is just just, just to be him. You know, don't let nobody uh, categorize you and tell you what you are and what you are not. So, I mean, for, for, for him... You know, just 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 to stay ready. You know, no matter what. You know, if you feel like you're, we're not going to use you or whatever the case may be, at the end of the day, you're still a football player. You know, that's never that's not going to change, regardless. You know, and 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 one of these weeks, I feel like it's going to be the week for John, just like I've said for for AJ. You know, you never know what can happen, in in the receiver room. You know, so I just feel like he, he he's been doing pretty good. You know, I don't I just just don't want him to start putting his head down, but I haven't seen it, so I think he's he's good so far. So his agent has requested a trade. Should the Bengals trade John Ross? 
I don't know what the market would be. Honestly, it's like he was the ninth pick of the draft. I don't know what they could get if they try to trade him. And I think teams are going to be they're going to they're not going to re up him. I mean, they know they're going to let him go. So I'm not sure anybody would offer anything. I don't know what kind of trade value there would be right at this point in time for John Ross. That's uh that's a big big issue. It's not going to be high. I mean, people would be silly to think they would get a high draft pick, but I personally think that somebody would give up a late pick just to roll the dice on that speed. Particularly if you're not one of the first five or six that have a shot at him. Well, actually, he's, he'll be a free agent, so everybody can bid. But if you want to say, okay, let me try to get him and see if I can get him signed for less market value than if he goes out there. And if, there is, if there's more than one person that wants him, his market value is a little bit better. Um, if you can get him in a trade, and say to him, look, you know, we'll only do this to his agent. We'll only do this if we can extend the contract. We'll make the trade. But we don't want to have him be a free agent as soon as, the, you know, he finishes the season with us. Let's get let's get a deal done. And that, now the agent has to decide what the hell do I do now. Yeah, you know? I don't see that happening. I mean, it's to me, I, to, I don't know why I would, I would trade for a guy, though, with 10 games left in the season who has shown that, you know, he's, he's spotty at best with hands. Um, but you said many times, and I can agree with you, reverses, uh, alley screens, uh, there's got to be a package. Somebody is probably sitting out there saying, I'll take him and put together this little package and compliment what I've got from my receiver group, particularly a team that's struggling at the receiver position and has an offense like the Baltimore Ravens. Now they never trade him in the division, obviously, but the New England Patriots, you know, are a team that... They're saying the Green Bay Packers mm-hmm. supposedly have an interest in John Ross. And, you know, I could see them creating a package with, with Aaron Rodgers for John Ross potentially. So I guess it's, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility, although I would deem it highly unlikely. I'm not sure that Mike Brown would pull the trigger on a trade. And then people will say, well, why wouldn't you? If he's not part of your future, why not get anything, assuming that somebody would flip you a late pick just because they're seduced by the speed I guess the argument against would be, well, so then what happens when... A.J. Green pulls a hamstring. Yeah, A.J. gets hurt, or God right. forbid another of your top receivers gets hurt. You right. you want to have that guy available. I guess that's the argument against. That That's the obvious argument against, no question about it. And, you know, the way they get hit by injury at positions and it com- spreads like a virus, you know, a la defensive tackle this year, left tackle last year, man, you just never know. I would say that that is certainly a case where you should be talking to every team just to find out what the market would bear. I agree. No, there's no sense, there's no harm, I should say, in doing research. There's no harm whatsoever in seeing what the market will give. Let's face it, if you look back at the Bengals' 1 4 and 1 start, they could have been, perhaps should have been, 4 and 2. Could have had the Chargers game in week one. Shouldn't have lost or shouldn't have tied against the Eagles in their first uh, road game of the year. And then last week, up by 21 early in the second quarter. That's a game you can't let get away. Unfortunately, they did. Here's veteran Josh Bynes on that 1 4 and 1 start. We definitely should be, definitely for sure, be a 4 and 2 team right now. You'll take the, the butt whooping the Ravens and the Cleveland, of course, as a learning lesson. But um, we just got to learn how to finish these games. And then the conversation is different uh, that we're having right now. And um, right now, it just it just sucks, you know, because I feel like we're a better team than that. 
Uh, I just didn't make the one play or two plays we needed uh, important to uh, come down the stretch to win the game. And that's what we haven't done this season. We haven't learned how to finish um, in all phases. And I just, you know, it just sucks to know that we're we're that close really to being such a great team and just to fall short and the record says otherwise and actually, you know, than what we know we're capable of. I don't know that the Bengals are that close to being a great team, as Josh Bunge just said, but they are that close to being a middle-of-the-pack team as opposed to a 1-4-1 one, and one team. I agree. And and if those had gone that way, the entire AFC North would be 4-2 and two or better, and the Bengals and Browns would be playing to be 5-2 and two, potentially. I mean, that, think about that. I mean, the, the AFC North could have potentially been the most <laughs> – Top to bottom, the strongest division in football by far, save for four plays. And it's not just, you know, like the, the press conference this morning. Uh, it was asked to Zach, well, what are the four plays? It's not a specific play in any game. There's a myriad. There's maybe 15 plays. If any one of 15 plays goes differently, the ultimate score is totally different. And, you know, it, it is. It's, it's 10 to 15 plays in every one of those games that we're talking about. You know, the the, uh, the tie in overtime, the loss to the Chargers uh, at the conclusion. I mean, the obvious one, you know, hit the field goal from 31 yards. I mean, Or the pass interference. The pass interference. It shouldn't have come off. Borderline pass right. interference. Or it should have been, um, you know, offsetting penalties and replay the down. Right. You know, I mean, there's and, – and that's just the two – the, the two biggest at the end of the football game. During the course of the game, that's why when I, I would lose close football games as part of a team, man, I think – no, okay, 65 snaps, how many had how many how many of them if I did something differently? How many times did I influence a play that could have gone much better that didn't that might have determined the game? And you can come up with a ton of them, a ton of them if you're honest with yourself. And uh, that's that's what you have to do as a, you know, as a member of a team that's struggling. What can I do to make it better? How do I change the outcome of these football games if everybody takes that approach it's not selfish it's like now all of a sudden you have the entire team elevating a level of play to be better to be better and going to win more football games that's the bottom line the Bengals booth podcast is presented by bud light seltzer it's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor We've got a rematch coming up on Sunday as the Bengals host the Browns, a team they lost to on Thursday night football in week two, 35-30. It was an eventful night for C.J. Uzama. In the second quarter, he was on the receiving end of Joe Burrow's first NFL touchdown pass. But in the fourth quarter, he suffered a season-ending Achilles injury. Recently, I had the opportunity to talk to C.J., his first interview since suffering the injury. And the conversation also included his close pal, Giovanni Bernard, because the two of them are getting together for a fun sweepstakes that you could win. They have been teammates for six years in Cincinnati. They have become great friends during that time period. Two guys who are better together, running back Giovanni Bernard and tight end C.J. Uzama, and they are involved in a really fun idea in association with Fifth Third Bank that we will get to in just a moment. But CJ, we obviously have to start with you and your injury. You were off to a great start when you tore your Achilles in week two. How are you doing physically and emotionally? I'm doing well. Um, I've had a, a great support system with me. My parents have come and, and helped me out. My friends, my teammates have been lifting me up, um, checking, it, checking in with me, just making sure I, I'm, I'm fine. 
so yeah I, I obviously I'm upset um because I want to help the team as much as I can but um yeah you know I'm looking forward to coming back stronger next year and right now just kind of being a leader and a voice in the locker room still and, and going into meetings and, and helping out where I can. Gio, I assume you are one of the guys who has been checking in. How is he missed on and off the field? Overall, his demeanor, uh, just having him around the locker room, having him in the huddle, uh, he always brings a, you know, a, a character, a, a happy guy. No matter what's going on in the field, he's going to, you know, have that smile on his face and just be out there and just, uh, you know, trying to support his teammates. And um, he's continuing to do that. Yeah, Not that many people, you know, not that many guys, you know, if they get hurt for the entire or, or they're out for the entire year showing up to meetings. So uh, that's one way that uh, CJ's definitely stayed in it. Um, I know for me, when I tore my ACL, I was not in any type of meeting. <laughs> um, I know I was just going, you know, to the rehab room and that was about it. Um, so big ups to CJ for that, uh, just being in the meetings and uh, obviously keeping that role, keeping that, uh, that figure, uh, you know, there all the time. Well, Gio, you referenced the ACL. You tore your ACL twice, once in college, once in the NFL. What advice do you have for CJ about attacking rehab? Well, I think it's one advice that he can give to me was I should have been in the meetings. <laughs> um, but I think the biggest thing is really is just staying in it. Um, and he's done a really good job of that, obviously, just by, by obviously going to the meetings, by coming into the building and uh, just continue to be himself no matter what, whether you know football is there or not. Um, he, he's going to be that same guy uh, each and every single day. Before your injury, CJ, you were on the receiving end of Joe Burrow's first NFL touchdown pass. I want to ask you about the celebration. Was that inspired by Gladiator? Was that a soccer celebration? <laughs> what exactly was that arms up raised maneuver of yours? Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> um, and then the, the crowd started booing. So then I kept my hands up, obviously. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to keep doing this. This, this seems appropriate. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, honestly. I don't know where that came from. I was just spur of the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Are you not entertained? <laughs> That's what yeah, it was. I'll, yeah, I'll say that. I'll say that for now. I mean, I'll say that for sure now because it does make sense. <laughs> Let's talk about the Fifth Third Bank Family Game Night Sweepstakes. I wish I was eligible because one lucky family is going to win the opportunity to spend an evening playing family-friendly games from the comfort of their home with the two of you guys through a video hookup. And Fifth Third Bank is also going to deliver a delicious dinner to the lucky family. What types of games are you guys up for? CJ, let's start with you. I'm up for anything. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, right now I'm a little, uh, you know, impaired. So uh, I, I will have a little more time to prepare for this. Um, and I'm looking forward to beating Gio again at everything. You know, there's only one person that does well in his family and games, and it's his wife. Uh, she's the real winner in that family. So I'm ready to beat Gio in anything. Um, no, I'm looking forward to it. I, I do enjoy games. I've grown up playing games with my family, card games, board games, doesn't really matter. Um, pretty competitive. So uh, it's another thing I can beat Gio in. How about you, Gio? Yeah, I think it's just going to be a competitive night. Um, I don't think ev everything is going to be about beating CJ, in my opinion. I think that's kind of where my mind's going to be at. Um, but obviously, it's going to be a fun time, obviously, a way for uh, us to interact with our fans. I think that's the biggest thing with kind of 
uh, kind of what's going on in the world right now. It's an opportunity for us to really engage with our fans and uh, just to have a good night, especially with, you know, just all the things that are going on. Um, it just gives us a chance to, you know, meet new people and uh, just to really take their minds off of, you know, what, you know, what the world is going through right now. So uh, it'll be fun. I'm excited about it. I'm obviously excited to, you know, play games. I've, it's a, kind of been a thing for me, uh, me and CJ, obviously, just to be able to play games. I know we're big Call of Duty people, um, but I don't know if that's a family, family type of game but um i think we'll just have fun with whatever we, uh, they put in front of us you should you should ask you should ask geo who won the last game that we played hey geo who won the last game that you two guys played so we had to stop the game <laughs> Wait, hold on. yeah but who won <laughs> that's a whole nother story <laughs> but who won <laughs> you didn't win bro what are you talking about yes i did <laughs> no, no 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 it doesn't count we there was something that happened outside that we had to take care of the dog and no we're not going into this story cj <laughs> you two guys are obviously going to be very competitive with each other but let's say the winning family has a couple of young kids and you're playing family games with them will you be humble in victory and gracious in defeat or are you going to go at it with these families regardless of how young and innocent the children are there's no such thing as being okay with losing. So <laughs> I don't think there would be happy moments whatsoever if we lose. So uh, who's ever going to be in this contest with us, we're definitely going to uh, hopefully not be as sore losers, but uh, we'll have a good time. It'll be fun. I'm excited about it. <laughs> I, think, I think it depends on the age. You know, if they're, if they're, if they're super young, I'm just going to be like, hey, good job, man. You know, if they're, if they're fifth grade and above – Maybe second grade because I don't know. It just depends. It depends. I'll fill out. I'll fill out the crowd. Um, but yeah, I'm no I'm mercy. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not expecting to lose this one. This Fifth Third Bank virtual family game night is obviously going to be a, a thrill for the lucky family. But you touched on this, Geo. It will be fun for you guys to interact with fans again. How much have you missed having big crowds at your games? For sure. Um, well, we obviously had a little bit of the crowd. Uh, our second game was, yeah, was the second game? Yeah, the second game here. Um, and obviously the state of Ohio just passed another one where we'll allow a little bit more fans. So um, obviously it's, it's, it's an advantage to have fans, especially right now. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, we want to be able to, to uh, just accommodate and just have fun and let those fans see, you know, kind of what we've been working on. Obviously, this hasn't really been the season that we wanted, but we can obviously turn it around and uh, having the fans there, having the fans be able to experience that with us um, is obviously something that we miss. And uh, this is obviously just an opportunity for the fans to get to see us, you know, off the field and uh, just to be able to be with us. Um, so, yeah, it'll be exciting. I think the main thing is I keep, even now I keep getting tweets and mentions of, man, I just wish we could go to the, to the games and, and things of that nature. So I think, um, especially with our fans and, and, you know, what, you know, they believe in what we believe in, you know, we believe that um, we're, we're on the up and up right now and they believe in us in that. So, you know, like Gio said, it's, it's a huge factor, you know, having our fans there, um, having people, you know, hit me up saying, Hey man, I'll, I'll sneak into your bag and, and, you know, go into the stands just to heckle the other team type stuff. It's, it's awesome. So, um, you know, I'm with Gio. It, it's, um, it's a huge blow to not have fans and it's, it's tough to, to not see our, our, uh, our orange and black up there just cheering for us. 
All right. It is the Fifth Third Bank Family Game Night Sweepstakes. To enter, go to the Fifth Third Bank website, 53.com slash Bengals. Be sure to enter by November 5th for your chance to win. And you guys are going to promote this on social media as well, correct? Yeah, we'll be blasting out some stuff uh, just to let, you know, both both my fans and CJ's fans to know, you know, really where they can go to enter and just, uh, you know, be a, be a part of this. I think it's just an opportunity for us to just really engage. And um, it's obviously a relief for us too to kind of get away from all the football stuff and to uh, just really have a good time. I'm going to try to get uh, included into the video hookup so I can witness this. I don't know if that'll be allowed or not, but it should be a great night for the lucky family. Gio, best of luck the rest of the year. CJ, on behalf of all Bengals fans, we wish you a full and speedy recovery and uh, enjoy the camaraderie, even <laughs> though you won't be able to uh, participate for the rest of this year. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it, man. Once again, to sign up for your chance to spend an evening playing family-friendly games with Gio and CJ from the comfort of your home, go to 53.com slash Bengals and be sure to enter by November 5th. Now time for our Know the Foe segment. The Cleveland Browns are 4-2 under new head coach Kevin Stefanski. Their wins are against Cincinnati, Washington, Dallas, and Indianapolis. Their two losses are to AFC North foes, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh. They lost to the Ravens 38-6. The Pittsburgh game was closer. That was 38-7. Zach Jackson covers the Browns for The Athletic, and he joined Lap and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show. Zach, we have seen this Baker Mayfield guy now five times in person, and for the most part, he's been really impressive. Mm -hmm. But then I read your stories and I listen to your podcast, and there's this other Baker Mayfield guy <laughs> who isn't good. Tell me about that guy. Yeah, um, the Bengals have, have boosted Baker Mayfield's stats. Um, you know, guys, the one I remember would be late in the 2018 season down in Cincinnati when the Browns just looked like they had turned the corner. Remember that game was over in about two possessions, and they just did everything uh, that they wanted to. Uh, it's been inconsistent. You know, and organizationally, they haven't done him any favors without with all the change. And you know, we know how last year turned out because, um, really, this is what three times in seven games these teams have played because they played the season finale last year. But um, he has struggled. Accuracy was his calling card, and, and he's kind of lost it. The simple throws have not been easy, and as you guys know, that that makes everything more complicated. And as I look at this week. You know, the Browns just really ran it all over. They, they did throw it early, but they really ran it all over the Bengals uh, in the first meeting. And Nick Chubb's on the shelf. And Wyatt Teller, the right guard, who had been a revelation, is on the shelf. So they're going to need Baker Mayfield. Maybe seeing those striped helmets will bring out the best in him. But, um, you know, the Browns had a bunch of momentum, and it all came crashing down last week. So we're going to see how they pick up the pieces. And I certainly think anybody who's watching with any interest at all in the Browns is watching the quarterback first. Yeah, watching the quarterback first. And then the guy that's going to catch everybody's attention is Miles Garrett because it doesn't matter who he's playing against. He seems to be, you know, affected in the game in some way, shape, or form. And when I look at that relationship, it's an interesting one because he had the uh, obviously the, the meltdown issue against the Steelers. And the organization stayed right behind him, and they said, you know, he's our guy. We're going to give him a big contract. I think that if I'm, if I'm Miles Garrett, it's like, you know what? 
this Cleveland Brown organization now, I'm going to play. I'm going to play my tail off for these guys. They stood behind me. They're giving me a ton of money. It seems to be a, a two-way street relationship. What's it like? Do you think? Yeah, it's it's full trust in Miles. Um, you know, last year, lap on that Thursday night, it was not only stunning that it happened; it was super stunning that it was Miles because there's just nothing in his background, temperament, anything to indicate that. But right. what you guys saw from him four or five weeks ago set him on a tear where he did that four games in a row. He made at least one game-changing play. Um, and I think it's just consistency, you know, what was the next step for him. Just just getting comfortable, being healthy, playing a full season. You know, without that last year, he's going to get to 16, 18, 20 sacks while he has to sit. This year he's getting there, and, you know, they're playing him on both sides. Um, he's really coming in, and he's intentionally going for the ball, and especially against a young quarterback. Um, and, and he's done it to some other guys, not just what he did to Joe Burrow. You know, he's getting the ball and he's changing the game that way. So, yeah, he is a super, super talented guy who the Browns have faith in and will continue to have faith in. And right now with the holes on their defense, um, it's not just faith, it's trust that he will make that kind of play every single week. Zach, let's talk about those holes because they gave up 30 to Cincinnati. They gave up 38 to Baltimore, 38 to Dallas, 38 to Pittsburgh. Some of those points came on you know, defensive scores by the opposition, but where are they weak on defense? You know, the back seven personnel-wise isn't isn't what you want. Um, you know, they, they, they had some corners, their, their third corner, fourth, fourth corner, guys like that in and out of the lineup. And, and the linebacking core has just – it hasn't been there. Mac Wilson played a lot last year, and he was injured this year, has not been the same guy. Uh, they had another second-year linebacker, Sione Takitaki. They're counting on him a third-round pick. He has not really been a starting quality player. So um, Denzel Ward is a Pro Bowl player, and as long as he stays healthy, he's going to get a big contract, and he's going to continue to rise in this league. But other than that, through injuries, through performance – through you know multiple coaching changes last year they were they played five safeties last year guys only one of them is even still on the roster it's just been a whole bunch of change and you know the results have been not really catching on they have played better the last couple weeks defensively but they have not been outstanding so let's talk about that uh, that offensive line you mentioned uh, briefly uh, Teller obviously with the injury like you mentioned Treader was kind of banged up with the knee when the Bengals played the first time but you know he played and played Fine and uh, Willis. I mean, uh, Wills. Honestly, that offensive line. I, when I saw it against the Bengals, I'm thinking, man, pretty good group. I really think when when all hands on deck, when it's intact, it's kind of like close to the top five in the league. Am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy at all, Lap. And I think they invested with that intent. You know, through all the change here, um, this is the third different group that has entrusted J.C. Treader. Petonio's been around since 2014. I mean, he's been to the last two Pro Bowls and easily could have been in the last four or five. Um, Wills is the number 10 pick in the draft. Conklin's $30 million guaranteed. So, yeah, um, it's a good group, and they did, they have missed Wyatt Teller. I don't think he's going to play on Sunday, and that is a huge loss. Yeah. And, frankly, that's where the Bengals got blown up last time, right in the middle, yep. and that is their ticket this Sunday. They have got to get the front, get to Kareem Hunt and get pressure on Baker Mayfield before they get going because it was a close game last time, but we all know that the Browns pretty much scored at will. I don't think they punted until the fourth quarter. You're right about that. (laughs) (laughs) We are talking to Zach Jackson, who covers the Browns for The Athletic, a great Twitter follow, at Akron Jackson. 
Following up on the offensive line, this might be hard to uh, quantify, but how much of a difference has the hiring of Bill Callahan made? A a huge difference. Um, It was just an organizational commitment. It was, hey, we, we have this wide zone coach, right, and we have this core of talented guys, but we really struggled at tackle last year. So they upgraded talent wise. Bill Callahan was one of the first hires. I don't know what they paid him, but it wasn't enough. And they just said, let's let's get these guys better. I mean, Teller was a starter for the Bills, fell out of favor. The Browns got him for basically nothing. You know, Treader uh, has a couple of freak injuries in Green Bay, but otherwise has been a rock-solid starter for a long time. Antonio has been around a long time, as I previously mentioned. So, you know, Callahan has kind of come in, gotten all those guys on the same page, gotten on the same page with Stefanski, even though they had never previously worked together. And you just noticed it last week. Now, Pittsburgh's front seven does that to a lot of people, yeah. as we all know. But when the Browns' offensive line is not playing well, they're really struggling. And when they are playing well, that's how they got on that four-game win streak. How about our, our buddy Alex Van Pelt, former quarterback coach here with the Bengals' offensive coordinator with the Cleveland Browns? How is he being received up there? Yeah, you know, pretty well. It's one of the disappointing things, Lap, is, is with, with, this, with COVID and, and not really getting around the guys. You know, I don't think we've seen Alex's personality to the full extent. Right. He's not calling the plays, but he's certainly involved, and specifically this week because he knows the Bengals personnel so well. But, you know, his task is to get Baker Mayfield on track. His task is to make sure that they're using all of these weapons. I mean, no other team in the league could, could lose a talent like Nick Chubb and plug in Kareem Hunt and keep going, right? Uh, they paid Austin Hooper a bunch of money a tight end, and they've got another rookie who comes in, Harrison Bryant, fourth-rounder, who's also making plays. So, you know, I think Alex has been well-received. The offense is certainly the strength of the team, and it's just all about getting Baker on track so they don't have to go do this quarterback dance again at the end of the season. Final question. Let's talk about the all-important third phase, special teams. Um, statistically, uh, the, the Cleveland Browns are struggling in a lot of areas. They gave up the 101-yard uh, kickoff return touchdown, the 31st in the NFL covering kickoffs, 19th returning them, 25th returning punts, and 21st, I mean, 25th covering punts, 21st returning them. And special teams, has that been problematic all year? Yeah, I think they've been a little bit better. But, yeah, it was a surprise early lap. They, they brought back their special teams coaches and almost all their core guys. And as you look at the Bengals, who have been really strong on special teams the last five or seven years, um, that's an area where they, they certainly have an advantage Sunday. So, I do think the Browns have been better. They had some guys. They lost their return man for the season. One of their core guys, a backup receiver, Kadero Hodges, out for a couple of weeks. So, yeah, uh, every time they kick or punt, um, the Bengals can be thinking about taking it the other way, you know, based on what we've seen early in this season. Will you be traveling to Cincinnati? And if so, are there road markers along the way <laughs> that you associate with firing general managers and or head coaches? No, um, six coaches have been fired after Steelers games, but after Bengals games, it was just Freddie, and I was still in the stadium last year when that happened. So I actually will not be making the trip um, with our regulations and protocols. I I can't go two weeks in a row, and I went to Pittsburgh last week. So I will miss seeing you guys, both of you. Um, But, you know, we'll be watching closely, and, you know, I I think – for, for basically the new era of the Browns, right? Browns-Bengals, is, they haven't been good at the same time, but I think there's a chance over these next couple of years that that could change. I really believe that. It's crazy in the division. I mean, you get three young quarterbacks, two of them are Heisman Trophy winners, and two of them are first picks of the draft. It's nuts. It is. 
It is, and I really like the guy you, that you guys got down there. Yep, we do too. Yeah, keep up the great work. Love your podcast and uh, what you crank out about the Browns on the Athletic. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, guys. For a final look ahead to Sunday's game, join Lap and me for the Bengals Pep Rally Show on Friday from three to six on ESPN fifteen thirty. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.